No watching from the side Said that you got him next Well go ahead and show him why No limits in the sky What up go everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Up Next A podcast where we tell you who's up next in youth sports Once again, we're heavy on basketball you know, Can't blame us That's that's our, that's where we, where we started uh, I'm Jamal Murphy And I, of course I got my co-host extraordinaire Khalid Green What's up man? Peace, everybody. Excited tonight. I got uh, I got the king. I got the king of middle school basketball on, man. You know, <laughs> the king of middle school basketball, Chad Babel, man, and 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 the Made Hoops brand. So we're excited to have him on, man. Yeah, and we're gonna get into that. You know, the middle school basketball thing because I remember uh, seeing Chad around. You know, the the, the older dudes. So obviously, uh, he's changed direction a little bit. But we'll get into that with him. And of course, like you said, our guest is Chad Babel, a longtime player in grassroots basketball, particularly in New York City, national talent uh, scout, founder of Made Hoops, madehoops.com, uh, formerly with Nike, right? At EYBL? Currently. Currently. Oh, currently. currently. Okay, currently. Don't fire that man, man. Okay. <laughs> <Currently>. <laughs> Don't fire that man, bro. <laughs> Currently, currently. The uh, bills got to still be paid, man. Don't do that to the <laughs> Currently. Currently. With, uh, last Nike, time I checked. Last yeah. time I checked. Yeah. So I, yeah, I wasn't sure you could you could uh, juggle all those uh, all those responsibilities, but I... I Juggling is definitely in my repertoire, for sure. <laughs> no doubt. So, but thanks for joining us, man. Really appreciate it. No, I appreciate you guys having me. Excited about being here. Yeah. So, we're going to jump right into it, just like when we talk to, um, you know, young... Uh, prodigies, uh, you know, playing the game. We'll jump right into it with you and and just f- find out how and when you started and when you got into basketball in general, just as a, as a player, fan, whatever. Uh, I've been in basketball forever. Um, literally from, you know, the days I started walking and talking. Um, so basketball's always been a big part of my life. My dad was always a huge fan. Um, he kind of coached me up throughout my entire childhood. I've been playing forever. Um, you know, my dad and me, we always, you know, our, our famous story is, uh, you know, fourth grade local town league. Um, you know, we were, uh, my grandfather had just passed away and, uh, and he gave his give the gifter speech to the team and, uh, and, and it was one of my best games ever. And, uh, you know, so basketball has always been a part of my life. Um, it's always been a, a deeply rooted passion of mine. Um, I was the guy who, you know, I'm, you know, mad at my parents or in trouble in school and, and I go to the park, you know, that was my salvage. That was my, you know, that was my getaway. That was my place. And, and so that passion was deeply rooted at a really young age. Um, and I, I even got started coaching probably as young as 13 years old. So my younger brother, Kyle, who, uh, He's actually a chief marketing officer for Made. handles all the social media, all the cool stuff. I, I do all the boring stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a five-year gap between us. He was eight. I mean, I, I was coaching him and his teams from eight years old. My dad was the coach in name, um, but I literally started coaching at 13 years old um, and kind of, you know, traversed the system over the years. So um, now I've been doing it as long as I can remember. So get into that a little bit. So how – obviously you're coaching at 13, so we see – where where this goes but mm-hmm. and how, how did you get in fully into the grassroots uh genre yeah so 
my first experience in terms of working in basketball, um, coached like some rec leagues, coached like some all-star teams, coached like different things from like 13 to like 17 years old. But my first like real job in basketball was 16 years old at Basketball City. So Basketball City was probably um, now not not the current one, not the east, right. not the east side right, one, right. one, on the west side. Chelsea Piers, Chelsea Piers, Chelsea Piers, correct. So everybody on this is thinking about the new one, Nana. We we old school, so right. old school basketball city. <laughs> right. Um, I was playing there and kind of coming up through their youth programs. And Justin Leonard, who's the the you know current owner and president of, of Game Seven Marketing, which you know does a ton of the Nike and Jordan brand activations, huge marketing company in the space. He was the director of youth programs at Basketball City at that time, and um, and and basically asked him, you know, can I get a summer job? And um, the funny story of it is he said, yeah. And, and my job was the canteen boy, um, literally 16 years old, go sell the Powerades, go sell the candy bars at camp. Um, and, and me and him joke about it still to this day. That lasted for a day. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I set like the canteen record of sales um, in, in a day. And uh, on day two, he said, all right, you, you go down to the office. You're, you're my administrative assistant. Um, and so for the next three summers, um, at Basketball City, I was the assistant to the director of youth programs during the summer. Um, so I would field all the calls downstairs in the office. They taught me how to use a database system and, and kind of hit up all the kids in terms of registering for camp, handling payments. I mean, making bank runs at 16, 17 years old. I mean, experiences and skills that um, I use to this day um, that quite honestly laid a foundation from a business standpoint in the, in this basketball world that are irreplaceable. So that, that was my first experience in basketball. And I honestly, I couldn't have asked for a better one. Nice. And then fast forward, I met, I met you running with the Gauchos and, and, and yeah. shout out to, to the Gauchos and that historic legendary, uh, you know, their institution in New York city basketball. So, when you, when I met you, I think you were coaching. Were you coaching, or you were just hanging around them? Like, what was, what was happening? Yeah. So, so over the course of my three three years at Basketball City, like you come across a lot of kids, you come across right. a lot of people. I'd already known X amount of people within basketball, but you start to like really develop relationships without even necessarily knowing what you're doing, right? Right. So you know, I started meeting some kids. I started hanging out with some kids, started training some kids, started like just started getting in the mix, not even really having an idea or a plan or anything like that. Um, And so I started at St. John's University um, and I was a manager on the basketball team there. I was starting to kind of, you know, develop some relationships, but I had my mindset on, I wanted to work in sports. So my major at St. John's was sports management. So towards the tail end of my freshman year, they kind of tell me like, hey, look, you have internship credits, right? Like you have to go do an internship, you know, within the field and you got to learn. And so, you know, we could go through the whole story, but long story short, I I meet Book Richardson um, and and I tell him like, hey, look, I want to be an intern. So he, he agrees to sign my internship papers. Um, we could probably have a podcast for about four hours about <laughs> how me and him met and all that stuff. But long story short, um, I started with the Gauchos, you know, kind of similar to Basketball City. My job was really to do administrative work for book, right, to write up reports on how the program was doing to help with, you know, booking flights, to help with just administrative stuff. Um, that didn't last very long. I mean, I did that part, um, but I quickly, I quickly jumped into being his assistant coach, helping on the recruiting side, 
um, being a menace to certain other AAU programs in the city <laughs> and, uh, and, and kind of being in the mix very, very quickly. Right. Uh, yeah, Beast, uh, what do you mean by that? Uh, menace to other uh, <laughs> uh, I think Kalin could probably explain that <laughs> than I could personally. <laughs> um, but I was, I, was, I was a relentless recruiter. I, I, I dove all in on the Gauchos. I said, look, this is where I'm at. This is what we're doing. We're going to be the best, and we're going to get the best players. And um, respectfully to everybody else, and, and, and thankfully we've cleaned up a lot of those relationships. <laughs> but um, – I was an animal. <laughs> um, I, I just, look, I was a young guy who just wanted to be a part of something great. I didn't know what the rules were. And honestly, at that time, I didn't even care what a rule was. It's I wanted to get the best players. I didn't care if I had to drive three hours to get them and drive three hours back. I didn't care if I had to go to his house and pick them up. I didn't care what it took. And, and again, nothing illegal, nothing over the top. I didn't have no money. I didn't have nothing. It was a hustle for me. And, and it was right. a love and a passion. And I was willing three o'clock in the morning to be on the phone with the kid, you know, because he was going to, you know, have a closer attachment to me than anyone else. Um, I mean, I can go on and on, but it was, it was time and energy spent and, uh, and it was probably misunderstood by a lot of people. If you didn't know me or weren't around me or didn't understand, like, no, I'm not just talking to them. I'm putting them in the gym. I'm training them. I'm, you know, at the Gauchos, we had the opportunity to open the gym up whenever we wanted. They gave me the keys to the gym. You know, I remember picking up kids at 11 o'clock at night and being in there till two in the morning with them working. So um, it just became just an all out obsession. Um, and I just dove in 24, 7, 365. And mind you, this is pre pretty much pre Instagram, pre, you know, social media. So this was hand over fist type of um, relentless approach to this. For sure. Yeah, this wasn't, this wasn't, oh, I just find his Instagram and DM. Yeah, DM him. Yeah, you, yeah. you had to find somebody in the hood. Like, you had to find someone in Brooklyn, find someone right. in Harlem. Yo, how do I get a hold of this kid? Right. Like, how, right. where does he stay? Where does he go to school? Right. It was a different approach to now. Right. It's, they got it easy now. Yeah, real easy. <laughs> I remember the, the Gaucho's gym itself is in the hood now. You know what I'm saying? Right. No doubt. <laughs> right. It's right. about 11, it 11, 11 to 2 a.m., you know what I'm saying? <laughs> It didn't have all the condominiums and hotels around it that it does now. That's for sure. Absolutely. I haven't been in a while. My fault. Yeah. Just, just it's a little fine. bit built up now. You know, Yankee right. Stadium. Yankee Stadium got it yeah. going. It's a nicer place now than maybe yeah. it was back then. Less yeah. quarter waters around nowadays, man. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how did the so how did the Nike uh, come about then? Well, I mean, you know, Gauchos at that time was a Nike sponsored program, and um, I was, you know, I mean, you know. I was really fortunate. I mean, obviously I worked hard and I think I was a part of the success of the program, but the reality was like, you had a lot of great people there. Um, I had the opportunity to learn from people like, you know, Mo Hicks and Book Richardson and Dwayne Mitchell and CeCe Holcomb. And, and, and you look at the crew of people there, Rasheen Davis, you know, Luke Murray, like there are a lot of guys um, who are prominent figures in the basketball community, even to this day that were a part of that program. And, and I was the young pup, right? And, and I ran around and ran crazy and was willing to work and do anything. Um, but the truth of the matter is I had a lot of guys who really taught me and, and I was a willing learner and we were a Nike sponsored program. I had the opportunity to really build and develop relationships within the Nike basketball family, um, meeting the higher ups and, and them having visibility to me. Cause they're like, well, how the heck are some of these kids getting in this program? And 
the OGs, to their credit, they, they weren't there looking to take credit for themselves. They're like, no, that's Chad running around crazy getting them. So um, I had early visibility to those Nike people um, and, and to guys who I now are coworkers of mine or even direct managers, which is, which is crazy. Um, but essentially, those guys watched me grow up in the business. You know, from Gauchos, I had the opportunity to go be a graduate assistant at the University of Arkansas, got to work with an SEC program under John Pelfrey got my master's degree, really learned what it took to like operate within a college environment, be a professional, not just be like a young guy running around New York City, but no, be in the office every single day at 8 a.m. Take care of your tasks, go to school, take care of your classes, be at practice, help wash uniforms, help manage everything, um, and really be a part of what college basketball program. And from there, you know, Rob Kennedy at the Hoop Group uh, gave me the opportunity to be the director of his camps and, and, and his, elite, um, his elite camps. Um, and so from Arkansas, I took the job at Hoop Group and um, was with Rob Kennedy and the Hoop Group for three and a half years. And, and kind of over the course of that time, um, redeveloped my relationships, built even stronger relationships, expanded my network. Um, and I think my time at the Hoop Group really gave people a view to like, oh, wow, Ch Chad could do this business, right? Chad could be a professional. Um, Chad can run a program. He can manage a budget um, and obviously still recruit kids and still be able to build relationships and attract talent to the events that we were running. And I think over the course of that time, um, you know, the relationships I had created back in the day with the Gauchos, with the Nike um, folks, um, they eventually came to me and, and kind of offered me a position to be a scout with them. You know, as a scout, what is that, you know, for people that don't know that might be listening, um, what does that entail, you know, being a, a Nike scout? What's that job description? Yeah, I mean, so Nike, obviously, with the EYBL platform, you have events like Nike Elite 100, Nike Basketball Academy, CP3 Camp, uh, Jordan Brand Classic, um, and just the entire grassroots platform of Nike Basketball. There's, there's a lot of select events, right? There's a lot of events that need selections um, within the EYBL. It's, you know, scouting and identifying talent of guys who should be um, you know, who are good enough to be a part of that platform. Um, and then, you know, once you identify those guys, you know, helping to manage those relationships um, and, and kind of bring them into the Nike brand. So um, it's been actually eight years now that I've been with Nike basketball um, going on year nine um, this upcoming summer. Um, and it's been a journey. I mean, it's been amazing. Learned so much from so many people and um, really had the opportunity to kind of grow within the brand and, 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 and help grow the brand. And it's been an amazing opportunity for me. Nice. Mm. So, you, like you said, you, you've been with Nike a long time. Can, can you t describe for, for the people what the shoe company, like what the shoe companies do? in the in the grassroots scene like what's the what is why are they there what's the purpose what are you trying to accomplish yeah no i think it's a great question i can't really speak for all shoe companies but i can speak for nike um i can truly say that i'm blessed to work for people who truly view themselves and truly act as guardians of the game um and, and honestly that's how i view myself um i view myself as a guy from the mud in this who has been about kids who's been about helping kids who's been about helping families and the community for, for years now. Um, and I think, you know, what allows me to kind of go through this grassroots system, because it's a crazy system, um, but it what allows me to do this and have done it for so long is the people I get to work for and the people I get to work with. Um, and, you know, unless you get to actually experience those people and work with them year after year and day after day, you know, you don't really get to truly understand where their hearts are and where their minds are. And so, 
Nike basketball truly is about investing in these kids and investing in these communities. You know, the reality of the situation is Nike doesn't need to invest this amount of money into grassroots basketball. Um, not, not to achieve what they're trying to achieve, like in terms of selling sneakers, in terms of signing the world's best athletes, they don't have to necessarily invest in grassroots basketball. They choose to, they choose to invest in putting, you know, resources behind a better product for the best players in this country. Like they choose to put together a product that allows best to play best. Um, and, and for me, that's been the coolest part about being a part of the team that I'm on is we are really you know, we really look at ourselves as guardians of the game and really look at ourselves as trying to grow the game and try and, you know, help develop the game of basketball. So I think overall that's our mission, um, you know, but our group is called Elite Youth Basketball, and, and that's what we focus on overall. And, you, and were you when, – when did, when did EYBL start? So oh, EYBL, started in, uh, EYBL started in 2010. Um, I joined, I joined Nike basketball in 2013. Um, so it was, you know, EYBL was something that was a formation of the existing Nike circuit. Right. So back when I was with the Gauchos and coaching, you know, you went to individual tournaments and basically they were, you know, a final four appearance at those tournaments would qualify you for peach jam. Um, EYBL was basically taking those tournament tournaments, putting into one focus league and where your record carried over, you know, session to session, as opposed to playing for a champion each, each weekend. And it really redefined kind of, you know, grassroots basketball. It made every game matter. It made every session matter. Um, and, and, you know, really refocused and reorganized grassroots in a really effective manner. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, I know we go back and when I was heavy in the game, uh, as far as grassroots, I was on the Adidas side with Sonny Vaccaro. And I'm sorry. <laughs> Shout out to George Ravelin, I guess. <laughs> so I, 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 I was on that side. And, um, you know, the grassroots, you know, the grassroots game looks a whole lot different than it did now. Um, you know, what changes have you seen that, you know, have transpired from then to now? I mean, first and foremost, I give a lot of credit to the organizations that are in this game now, right? Um, you look at these programs and they've really morphed and developed into truly like full service programs, full 360 degree programs, just focusing on New York City. I mean, you look at the job that the PSA Cardinals, the Wrens, New Heights, Long Island, like New York Lightning, like you look at, you know, just the, just those four programs right there and the job that they've done in New York City. Um, it's a completely different business than what it was even just five years ago, let alone 10 or 15 years ago. These guys have really figured out fundraising. They've really figured out programming. They have figured out academic tracking. I mean, it is so much more than just grab the best players and just go travel around the country. And I think that's one of the major misconceptions of grassroots basketball nowadays. I believe there is a huge difference between grassroots basketball and elite youth basketball. I believe, you know, the programs that we just mentioned, they are participating in elite youth basketball. I believe grassroots basketball is any mom and pop team who wants to pay an entry fee and wants to go into a tournament with zero barriers for entry into those events. That's grassroots, right? I believe elite youth basketball is a completely different model. And I honestly, I don't think as a business, we've done a good job of marketing that. I don't think we've done a good job of telling that story and telling the job, uh, telling, telling the story of the job that these directors and these programs are doing in the communities. Cause it's far more than just paying for kids to travel around and just roll out the basketballs. They're doing far more than that now. 
Right. And and it seems like they, uh, the directors that you named, um, you know, Munch, Adam, and Rye, and uh, 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 Andy, those guys come at it from a holistic uh, perspective, more so than, like you said, back in the days, it was, you know, let's get on the phone with somebody and two days left, let's put them on the flight for this trip. Those days are gone. So, you know, it seems like it's more holistic, more organic the way they, they approach is. Well, I think it's organic and business. Like the reality is to provide these services to these kids in these communities, it, it, it costs money, yeah. right? Like let, at the end of the day, this is a business. They are providing services, right? And ultimately the services are to provide these kids and these communities with opportunities, you know, to grow themselves as young men and young women and, and be able to, you know, take the next step to the college level and earn scholarships. But the reality is like these academic programs, they cost money, like running these events, they cost money traveling these kids that cost money, you know. Um, and, and so the reality is, I think it's not like the mom and pop days of grassroots basketball anymore. It's big business right. and, and it's big bank, little bank. And, and you look at New York City and I think it's a shining example of it. And I say that proudly. Like when I say it's big business, I say that proudly because they're doing it in a whole bunch of different ways. They're getting donors, they're getting corporate sponsors, they're running, they're running drives, they're doing grants for academia. Like they are really approaching it as a business. And ultimately by treating it like a business, the kids are the ones who get the benefit. And th those are the ones who are getting improved services and improved, you know, just overall programming from these organizations. Absolutely. So, so it sounds like if I asked you the, the current state of, AU grassroots uh, elite, elite basketball. Elite, elite youth basketball. <laughs> you think it's going in the right direction? I think elite youth basketball is going in the right direction. I think elite youth basketball is um, taking big steps in terms of where they've been. Um, I think grassroots basketball and elite youth basketball have a gigantic clash going on right now. Um, I think, you know, you look at it and there's zero barrier for entry in terms of having a team. Um, and I think that's a problem. Um, I think, you know, when people talk about the yesteryears of New York City basketball in particular, right, like we're New York guys so talking about New York and we, every area has their own issues and has their own problems. And trust me, like no area is perfect. Zero. No program is perfect. Um, and, but focusing on New York City, you know, I think, you know, when we talk about the old days, right, and everybody talks about the talent, the reality was there was two, maybe three programs back then. And if you weren't good enough, you got cut. You didn't have a team to go travel around the country with. You had to go back to your community center. You had to go back to your gym and you had to get better. Right. And I think, you know, everybody talks about, oh, New York City's not. Well, yeah, when you always have access to be on a team and when you get cut from this team and either your dad goes and creates a team or you just run over to this next team, yeah, it's hard to get better. You know, when you're the seventh man on your team and you're on a really high level sponsored team and you're pissed off because you're not getting the minutes you deserve or you think you should be starting and you run over to this team because they're promising you an ability to start and ability to play more minutes. Well, to be honest, it might not be that you're not good enough. It might mean that you need to work a little bit harder. It might mean that you need to take some coaching. It might mean that you just need to develop a couple more skills, right? But instead of doing that, nowadays we've created a system and a platform where kids just have they don't have to be accountable. Like they don't have to get better. They're not forced to grow. They're not forced to compete against this guy and take that, you know, excuse my French, take that whooping on the court and figure out and look themselves in there and say, man, how do I get better? No, what they're taught to do now is to run um, and, and go to another program. And, and so not to be on my high horse, um, you know, but 
I do think when you look at the, the, the status of the game or the status of the city, I think there's a lot of good things going well. But I think in general, our kids would be better off with less options. I think our kids would be better off with, you know, being forced to compete, not being allowed to run away, being forced to work on their stuff. If they're not getting enough minutes, we'll go earn more minutes by getting better. Get back in the gym, get, get to training, you know, improve your skills. Go at that dude in practice who is getting more minutes than you. Um, and, and for me, I think that's an adage for life. Um, and and right. I think if you don't learn those skills through the game of basketball, you know, it's going to be tough, you know, here, you know, in life if you don't learn that. Absolutely. So, so made hoops, tell us what you're doing there. Oh, everything. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely uh, everything. <laughs> uh, Made Hoops literally started off as a conversation between um, me and one of my best friends who is currently our director of operations and me telling him, you know, this middle school basketball game is crazy, man. You got guys flying in people from all across the country creating all-star teams for this one tournament. You know, you got kids that God knows how old they are playing, you know, eighth grade basketball, being 17 years old with wow. no recourse, no checking of the rules, no ages. Um, it, it was a fractured, disorganized system seven years ago when I first started talking to, to my friends and when I started talking to, you know, my circle about, like, what is going on here? Like, why is this like this? Like, we figured out EYBL at this point. EYBL is super organized. There's rules. There's standards. Like, there's a way of operating this grassroots system. Why has nobody done this at the middle school level? Um, and that's really where it came from. That, that's where the idea of Made Hoops came from. We started with one circuit four sessions, 12 teams, right? And, and that's, it, it was never, there was, this was never the plan. This was never the plan to grow it to this level. The, the plan was, man, how do we take the best middle school teams on the East Coast? How do we put them into a super competitive environment? How do we make every single game worthwhile, right? How do we set some standards and some rules and some boundaries of like, hey, look, you're not flying in the best kid from California onto your team. You know, you're not, you know, if you're a DC team, you're not taking the best kid from Texas just for this weekend, just to win the tournament. Who cares, right? Let's build your eighth grade team to eventually be your 17 under EYBL team. Let's create chemistry. And, and really it came back from my days of the gauchos our philosophy at the gauchos back in the day is our eighth grade team is our second most important team after our 17 under team why because they're next right and for us if we did a great job with that eighth grade team and we had about you know for me my goal was always four to six kids on that eighth grade team i was hoping would translate up to our 17 under team and you know some kids don't you know improve some kids don't develop but you add one or two kids at 15 now you're at five or six kids you had one or two kids at 16s now you're at six or seven you had one or two kids at 17s now you got eight pretty damn good players right now you can compete with anybody in the country and that that was our philosophy at gaucho so I mean, I took that same philosophy and I said, well, why shouldn't our teams be doing this at Made Hoops? And, and that was really the origin of it. Nothing more, nothing less. And now it's a whole lot more. <laughs> <laughs> now, now it's a full-time job. Right. Now, now it's a full-time job. So now it's definitely grown into, you know, a full-on company. Um, you know, we got six full-time guys. We're 25 events, 20,000 participants across the country on an annual basis. Um, you know, obviously our social media presence is, is pretty robust and, um, it's been, um, it's been a journey, but it's, it's been a really rewarding journey. Um, it's been pretty cool to kind of just see an entire, um, 
just an entire age group, boys, girls, coast to coast, um, really just kind of buy into, like I said, what was, you know, a couple conversations with friends. Um, and, and the coolest part, man, is just seeing people buy into the vision. And, and at this point, I tell this to anyone who asks, um, at this point, it's my job to make sure we don't mess it up. Right. And, and just to keep putting kids first, keep doing things the right way. Um, never let go of what our initial reasoning was. And, and, and that's to really do things the right way, primarily for the middle school, but we've expanded into some other things. Um, but to really reorganize and restructure and just do things the right way at the middle school basketball level. So, so what's the talent look like out there? Honestly, I think all, lit, all ages, yeah. everything, everything you cover, what, what, what does it look like? Well, I mean, one thing I tell anybody is basketball talent is cyclical, right? Like I've been in this game for over 15 years, right? And, and so whether it's a specific region, whether it's a specific class, um, talent cyclical, you know, the 2020 class right now in college basketball is unbelievable, but that doesn't mean that the next class after that is going to be just as good as bet or better. Right. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. Reclassification is a part of it where guys kind of fluctuate over different classes, um, you know, but the reality is, is, you know, talent level is cyclical. Um, I would say our, we're in a day and age where there's as much skill as ever at, at these younger age groups. Um, I think the skill level of kids nowadays, what, you know, they, they replicate what they see on TV. They replicate the NBA. Um, and, and what I would tell most kids is that's not the place to learn how to play right. um, because th those dudes are freaks. Like they're, right. they're absolute freaks. Their skill level is freakish. Their athleticism is freakish. Like you can't learn how to play watching the NBA. I tell any kid, any kid, parent, coach, do not learn how to play or do not try and teach young men how right. to play from the NBA because what they do is off the charts. Right. Um, but inevitably everybody looks at the top, right? Everybody, you know, they can't help themselves. They look at the top and say, how do I emulate that? And I think what you have nowadays in the game of basketball is an amazing ability of skill level. Um, now, what you don't necessarily have is um, a generation of players who always know how to play together, who always know how to defend, who always know how hard it takes that they need to play, who understand how to deal with adversity, like we talked about a couple minutes ago. Um, there's certainly a segment of the game that needs a lot more coaching and needs a lot more development. Um, but I have to start with the positive and say, I think the skill level is as high as it's ever been in this game. Nice. How about New York City? I know you, I'm sure you get this question all the time, everybody, you know, ever since the nineties, people have been like, you know, all the, <laughs> the, the talent in New York City isn't there anymore. What happened to New York City? Are we not dominating yeah. like we used to? Um, but recently I feel like classes have been pretty strong. It's just when sometimes, you know, they go to prep school, you don't, you don't know where these kids are at. So we lose, yeah. kind of lose the cachet there. But what do you think about overall New York City talent? I think New York City is a cyclical place, just like anywhere else. Is it every single year we're consistently producing McDonald's All-Americans? No, not necessarily. But I think we've been a heck of a lot better the last five years than we were the five years before that. And ultimately, it, that's how things should be judged, right? Um, you know, shout out to all of our big time legends like who came through but like, it's not the same place, right? Just start from a socioeconomic standpoint, right? The reality is you look at all these talented players who came through here, most of them don't live here anymore. So, right there, like this is, you know, when you talk about socio socioeconomics and you talk about genetics and you talk about like, all right, well, if you were a big time basketball player and you came from New York City and you don't live here anymore, the likelihood of your kid being pretty good is probably higher than maybe just the next kid. 
And if you don't live here anymore, that means that that kid is now living in Texas or living in Carolina or living in Vegas or living somewhere else. So unlike a lot of other areas, and, and there are a bunch of reasons for this. One, New York City is a tough place to grow up for a lot of our guys, right? A lot of the generations be, uh, above me, man, the, the last thing in the world these guys want to do is come back to New York. Not because they don't love New York, not because they don't love the people. It's a hard place to live. It was a hard place to grow up, right? Um, the weather, you know, they, they, you know and, and, and the number one reason, it's expensive to live here, right? right? So at the end of the day, if you have the opportunity to live in Atlanta or live in North Carolina, and that's your way of raising your family, it's a much lower cost of living. I can't blame them. But I think we're remiss if we don't talk about it has a direct impact on the level of talent coming up now, right? The basketball community doesn't have its pillars. It doesn't have its legends. You know, maybe like some of these other communities have where you have these words of wisdom, you have these guys who, you know, have done it and seen it. And we have some, right? Let's not act like there's no one here, but I think we have a vast community that isn't currently here. And I think that plays a major role in the development of our up and coming players. So out of the classes that you've seen, so we have, uh, I know he doesn't play on the, I, I know you don't want me to talk about the, the Adidas guys, but, <laughs> but the Mike, right, right. So, so let's talk about some of these up and coming guys. So we had Elijah Fisher on the kid from Canada. Um, made hoops we, alumni, by the way. I, I figured alumni. that. Elijah I figured. Well, who's not a made hoops alumni, man? Come on. <laughs> We're striving for them all. We're striving for a hundred of the top one hundred every year. Absolutely. So we had him on. Um, we had Jaden Bradley on. We had uh, Scooter Henderson on. How do you see those guys? Like you know, ranking up. You know, uh, uh, do you think they have a chance in being NBA guys in in the future? Yeah, I'm, I'm very cautious with, with that NBA talk. I'm very cautious with that pro talk. Um, first and foremost, because I think there's a responsibility with the position I hold in the basketball community not to just proclaim guys. Throw that out um, there, right. And, 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 and I try not to just put that on guys. I think there's enough people out here who just throw that on these kids, and, and it's just too much too soon, in my opinion. Um, but um, working in reverse order, uh, I mean, Scoot just had a heck of a weekend this past weekend right. in Atlanta at, uh, at the Holiday Hoops Giving event. He's a heck of a talent. I've been watching him since eighth grade. He played in our Made Hoops eighth grade finale. Um, the talent was obvious then, quick burst, highly athletic. He looks like what a lead guard looks like nowadays in terms of an elite level point guard. Um, I think the world of him. Um, you know, really high level talent. And, uh, and I think his best days are yet to come. I think he's severely underranked. I think that'll change here soon, especially with some of his performances. Uh, big, big fan of him. Uh, Jaden Bradley, man, I, I've been watching him since at least seventh grade, maybe sixth grade. He was playing up maybe, I think, in seventh grade. Um, I think he's one of the best guards in his class. I think he's been ranked at that level for quite some time. He's originally a Rochester native. Um, great family. Dad is an amazing dude. Um, you know, he's the starting point guard down at IMG and, and that's definitely going to be, um, a new experience for him. Um, you know, he had a great situation, um, in Charlotte, uh, with a private school, but it's different playing at IMG, playing with a lot of other great players. Um, so him balancing that, I think is something that, you know, is going to be awesome for him in the long run, learning how to run a team, get his buckets, um, and, and continue doing what he's doing, but he's an elite, elite level talent. Um, and then um, I think Elijah Fisher was the third one that you mentioned. Right, right. Um, Elijah's a freak athlete. 
um, freak athlete with good size. I think he's caught a little bit in between positions right now. I think they're trying to figure out if he could be a point guard or is he a wing. Um, I think, you know, him continuing to develop his shot will kind of dictate that more as well as his feeling IQ and what position he is. But there's no denying his talent. Um, he's a high, high level talent with elite level athleticism. Um, you know, and I think for him, it's continuing to be able to play with and against high level players. Um, right now, obviously the Canadian border is closed off, right? So that kind of holds them back a little bit from being able to play all the talent, um, here in the States, uh, which he normally does. And, you know, which he normally gets the opportunity to do, um, but continuing to play with great players and continue to play against great players, I think is Elijah's biggest challenge. Um, but another high, high level talent. Nice. Well, you mentioned the rankings of, of a few guys. What, what's, what's your take on, on the rankings? Are they, you know, are they a good thing, bad thing, just a necessary thing? What do you, what's your take? I think first and foremost, rankings are a business. Um, mm. rankings are a website business that generates clicks that generates attention and has us talking about it right now. So they're doing a great job with their business, right? right. Um, you know, this is free marketing for them because it has gained people's interest and it's a conversation starter. I take rankings with a grain of salt. Um, I know the guys who do the rankings personally. They're not just a Twitter handle to me. They're not just a guy's name on a website. They're guys who I've had relationships with over, you know, 10 to 15 plus years. They're good guys. They work hard, but they are not perfect. And they're not, you know, fortune tellers and they can't always be right. Um, they have a job to do. You know, I don't know how many of them would admit this. Most of them hate doing the rankings. They don't want to do it. It's part of their job, right? And it's something that they have to do. Um, but the reality of it is forecasting 15, 16 and 17 year old kids, like, you know, first and foremost, what are we ranking? Are we ranking what they are right now? Are we ranking what they're going to be in the NBA? Are we ranking what they're going to be in college basketball? Are we trying to project who's going to be the McDonald's All-Americans? What are we ranking? Different people have different measurements of what those rankings are supposed to be. Um, and, and, you know, the reality of it is rankings have a place in this business and they're not going anywhere, whether we agree with that or disagree with that. They're not going anywhere. Um, my advice to any family, any parent, um, everybody is take it with a grain of salt. It's somebody's snapshot of where you're at right now right? It's not the end all be all. If you're ranked really high, congrats. Good luck. Get back in the gym. If you're not ranked very high, well, that sucks. Too bad. Get back in the gym. Right. But either way, like that's to me what it's about. You know, basketball is a game of growth. It's a game of getting better. You look at most of the NBA all-stars, most, most of them weren't ranked high. Why? Mm. Because they had a chip on their shoulder. They stayed humble. The, town, the, the hype didn't get to them. The noise wasn't too loud. They stayed in the gym. They stayed true to the grind and they kept going. You know, go through the list. I mean, the vast majority of those all-stars, they are successful in spite of not getting the attention, not because of it. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And, That's and a great of, observation, actually. And even a lot of us, me included, we get lazy. Into, if you're not in it day to day, you, you know, you just look at the rankings and see, you know, who's recruiting class uh, looks good. Like, for, for instance, I, w I was watching, I was telling Khalid, I was watching Posh Alexander uh, play for St. John's these last couple of games. I'm like, I'm like, this kid wasn't ranked top 150. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it really, yeah. you're right. It really doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and again, there are certain things that matter, right? You want postseason accolades like a McDonald's All-American Award. Rankings matter, right? You know, you want to be, you know, recruited by certain schools. Again, do schools only go based on rankings? No, but they look at it. They see 
they don't know a kid's name and they see him 33rd in the country, they're going to say, all right, make a phone call. Who's this? What's this? Does that what dictates them being recruited by school? No, but it's a source of information, just like, you know, a lot of other data points and a lot of other businesses. Yeah, I was on the uh, group chat with um, my players, uh, some of my young players that were watching um, the draft the other night. And I said, this is the ranking that really means a lot right now. <laughs> See that top 30? <laughs> that's a hell of a ranking right there. <laughs> that's the ranking that cuts a check. That's the ranking that cuts a check, exactly. When it's all said and done. <laughs> right. There's no ranking for being number one on 24-7 sports. There's no, there, or excuse me, there's no payment for being ranked number one on 24-7 sports or ESPN. There's no check that comes with that. There right. is a check that comes with being number one ranking on the NBA draft. Absolutely. And you, and you get more number one than you do at number 10. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it actually <laughs> no doubt. That ranking actually matters. Right. Um, that ranking really matters. It really matters. You know, you were, you were a part, before we let you go, you were, definitely, you were a part of Gaucho's, you talked about it. What did you think of the, the Gaucho's-Renz collaboration? I think it was a phenomenal move. I mean, I think it, it was a true form of partnership, right? I think two organizations looking at each other and saying, you know, put our ego, leave our egos at the door, what can we do for each other? How can we help each other? How can we help New York City? And how can we help these kids? Um, and I think in a time and age where um, it's an unprecedented move in New York City's history, when have you ever had two major programs work together? I know it's, I know it's a foreign concept in New York City, um, but that's what they did. They chose to work together and help each other and help their city and help their kids. And I commend them both, you know, the leadership of Andy Borman and Book Richardson and Earl Elliott for leaving their egos at the door and saying, how do we improve our programs and how do we help our kids? Wrong question, Jamal. How, did, how much did Chad mediate that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think he had an inside, inside. You know, uh, my man does not play. I know Chad. <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you. And, and, and I have no problem saying this publicly because I've said it privately multiple times. No one will believe me when I say this. They will say I'm lying or BSing or whatever they want to say. It wasn't my idea. Okay. They had met without me. Okay. They had met without me. They had gotten together and they had said, hey, look, we have these ideas. And, and Andy approached Book. Um, and so, you know, shout out to Andy Borman, you know, look, yeah. like looking beyond his program, looking beyond, you know, the, the competitiveness of all this. Andy went to Book. You know, and, and there are other programs who could have gone to book and had the same conversation with him. But that's how it happened. You know, if you right. want the truth, um, I can't say that I didn't sit in on some of it and didn't, you know, help, you know, make sure that it came to fruition once they kind of were like, hey, yeah, we want to do this. Yeah, of course. But um, the reality of the situation was it had nothing to do with me at the onset. The idea wasn't mine. These two parties chose to come together and said, hey, we think this is a good idea. Um, and, and they deserve all the credit for it. And it seems like it makes sense, quite honestly, from, from my perspective. I mean, you got the Gauchos who have been killing it on the middle school level and elementary school. They, they run a great camps with their little kids. And then you have the Rens who've been the pillar of uh, New York City basketball when it comes to elite basketball, like you say. Um, you know, for them to come together, I think it makes a lot of sense. And it, it seems like it's a win-win situation, for real. Yeah. And for me, you know what I will say? I hope that move is a pillar move for programs across the country to look at how do we conglomerate and how do we come together? And instead of having a million programs in every city across America, how do we form together and kind of create megatrons across, you know, various programs? And ultimately, 
how do we help these kids? How do we help the game of basketball? How do we develop young men for life through this game? And, and ultimately, look, there's a business aspect to this. Um, it, it, there's certainly a business aspect to me, but ultimately at our core, we got to be kids first and we got to right. be growing the game and we got to be about kids first. And then I think if you do that and you do it the right way, I think business has a way of taking care of itself. I truly believe that. And from the grassroots perspective, as far as sneakers, they've been cutting back anyway, right? On the amount of teams that they sponsor. So it's kind of like programs almost have to do this out of survival right now. Is that, am I right on that? Yeah, I can't really speak for other sneaker companies, although they're right, maybe course. where Nike, I would want to. Nike's um, just fine. Yeah, <laughs> Nike's not going anywhere, right? <laughs> like Nike's not going anywhere. Nike is invested in grassroots basketball. Um, and, and the reality is that's the case. You know, we're, we're here and we're invested in these communities. We're invested in these programs um, and we're invested in these kids and, and trying to help these kids grow. Um, and that's the reality. Um, I, I do think in general, when you talk about the sponsorship world of, of elite youth basketball, um, there's going to be a natural shrinking of it, right? Of there's, this is a hard time in terms of the pandemic for all businesses, right? right? And there's going to be decisions made amongst all businesses of where do we spend our dollar and the value of a dollar is going to be held at a higher standard. Um, and so, yeah, to your point, Lid, like, yeah, I think that's going to be an incentive for a lot of programs to kind of look in the mirror and say, hey, you know, what do we do and how do we keep doing this? And, and I think the answer for a lot of those situations is, we got to find ways for people to work together in a lot more effective manner. Before I let you go, Chad, so you, what is the concept of marquee hoops? Cause I, I just saw you over the weekend and it was my first time at, at a marquee hoops event, pretty good talent there. Um, I think you had, I don't know how many teams, but like I said, you had pretty good talent. Uh, and it started from what seventh grade up to about 10th or 11th. What was the concept mm -hmm. of that, uh, of that brand? Um, I mean, made has really become like an exclusive kind of invite only situation for the most part, um, where the reality is like we figured out a formula and a format that keeps the competition at the highest level. And part of that is what we talked about earlier in this call is barriers for entry, not allowing everybody in. Right. And, and so for us, it's, you know, with made, it's trying to provide the highest level of competition possible. And, and the only way that we can do that is to make it exclusive and to create barriers. Um, there are still opportunities out there and there's still a lot of programs out there that quite honestly can use a highly organized, well-run, highly executed event platform. Um, and so to be able to give those programs the opportunity to have an organization that's doing things the right way and that is formatting things the right way and isn't cutting corners and isn't like, not spending money on, you know, the right things. Um, that That's what kind of, you know, originated Marquee is, is to be able to, you know, replicate some of the efforts of made, but in a different way and more for the masses. And it was, and it was well run. Good job on that. Appreciate and, it. You know, shout and, out to my team. And yep. this time for real, before we let you go, um, <laughs> the, we, we mentioned three guys uh, that we had on the show, but who, what young up and coming players on the, the top of your head that you've seen. And I don't care what age or anything, but who who's really sticking out to you? Uh, there's a young man out of Baltimore by the name of Derek Queen. Um, he is. Yeah, we had him on here. He's yeah, the real Derek, deal. Derek got a chance. Derek a got a chance. Great young man. Yeah, freshman out of St. Francis Academy, being coached by Nick Miles. Um, great friend of mine for many, many years. 
Derek, Derek's a kid who, who got a chance. Uh, one of my friends was just telling me a story about him this weekend. He just coached about him. And basically Nick had him playing the point guard spot for like the last six minutes of the game. I mean, this kid's six, seven lefty, like, yeah. you know, and, and, and didn't turn the ball over one time and kind of sliced and diced up a team. So he's a kid that definitely is, uh, you know, name is growing, but I think you'll be hearing a lot more of him. Um, you know, within New York City, I think Nas Cunningham is, in a, you know, he's, he's in, on the Jersey side, but the New York metropolitan area, um, I think he's an elite level talent. I think a kid like Anthony Gilks, who's down at IMG and from New York, um, has a chance with, you know, continued work and development to be elite level talent. Um, the future's bright. You know, one thing we ha haven't talked about is the Slam 16 game um, that we helped Slam and Gatorade run a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, that, that underclassman game, there was a lot of talent in that game. Uh, there was a lot of talent. And so for me, that was an opportunity for me to really check out who's next, right? And, and up, who's up next. There you um, go. There you go. Just get it uh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's up next? We'll, we'll use that on the um, promo. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Cut that right there. Um, but, um, you know, it really gave us a chance to see who is up next in this metropolitan area. And, and I think anybody who watched that game would say, wow there's a lot of talent up and coming in, in the metropolitan area because that was, that was a loaded, loaded game. Absolutely. Well, all right, Chad, really, really appreciate you taking time out of your busy, busy schedule uh, to join us. <laughs> man, with a lot of hats, man, Lots of but hats. great job. But, but, but let me say this before you get off, Chad, you've been doing a great job. I never able, was able to say that to you personally. So just want to let you know that how highly respect where you've come from and I pretty much know that you'll be going a whole lot more, doing a whole lot more in the basketball game. So kudos to you and your team. Uh, much appreciated, guys. I appreciate you guys having me and, and led to your point. Uh, I'm the face, but it's I got a heck of a team around me and uh, they do a phenomenal job of, uh, of really putting on a lot of the things that we do. Absolutely. All right. All right, Chad Babel, founder of Made Hoops, madehoops.com. Marquee uh, Hoops. Marquee Hoops. Uh, still, still with Nike and EYBL. Uh, and who knows what else that he hasn't told us yet. But uh, <laughs> as we said, thanks again for joining us, man. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. Thanks. Peace. All right. Chad Babel. Um, doing, doing a lot of big things. Of course, Nike. Of course, like you said, Made Hoops, Marquee Hoops. Um, he's the man as far as, the, as far as those young kids go. Yeah, he 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 definitely. I remember him again coaching with Gauchos, and he's he now has a dynamic organization, and um, he's found his niche in the in the in the grassroots middle school game, mm -hmm. and um, now he, he made hoops is the tournament to be in if you are a upcoming up next kid in uh, sixth grade, seventh grade, or eighth grade. And it allows him to know who's coming up next in, in that and able to put the put his uh, pulse on who will be the next upcoming high school kids and obviously pro down the line. So he's doing a remarkable job with that brand. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, he's, you know, like you said, he's been around forever, as he told it, um, you know, since <laughs> basically in the game since a teenager. Right. So, you know, which is which is the way it works usually. You know? Yep, 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 yep. So, kudos to Made Hoops, Marquee Hoops, and all the players that are participating in it, and the coaches. And you were out, you were out there, you were at Marquee Hoop the event. How was that? Oh man, it was, it was, it was. You know, it was a two day, two day event. I stayed for both days, and I was able to see 
a lot of young talent. One of the young kids I uh, featured on our uh, Instagram page today, kid, young kid uh, named Nash. Last name is Nash from Canada. I mean, not from Canada, from Connecticut. Mm. Seventh grade guard. He played against the New Heights seventh grade team, which was very, very good. They were they were huge. I thought they were in eighth grade, but they were in seventh grade. You checked and the, you checked the, gift, uh, the certificates? I didn't check any birth certificates, <laughs> but I'm sure there was some reclass in that mix, you know. <laughs> but uh, this kid uh, in particular, he had about 25, 26 on, on New Heights. They lo- his team lost, but he, he didn't look uh, – he was, he was a little different. Let's just mm-hmm. say that. And he, was, he had good size. So, you know, and I saw some other players there that were really good. So, you know – Marquee Hoops is another brand that, as he said, is allowing other uh, teams that might not be able to play in uh, made hoops, play in marquee hoops and, and get their names out there. Mm-hmm. Well, good stuff. Thanks again to uh, Chad Babel for, for taking the time out of his busy schedule to talk to us. Uh, thank you all for listening uh, once again to another uh, great episode, if I may say so myself. Uh, keep following us, keep supporting us, keep uh, subscribing and listening to the program. Uh, keep following us on social media at UpNextPod on Instagram and at underscore pod on Twitter. And we'll be back next week with Yes, sir. Peace. Perfect, perfect timing. Put me in my zone. Two, three, thirty-two, thirty-three like birdie-two. Time to put on for your city when they never heard of you. Ball player, ain't no watching from the side. Uh, picking up them pieces, ain't no limits in the sky. Uh, said you got up next, but gon' show them why. Uh, one, two, that's a three. Now take your shot, ball player. Bishop Lachlan, purple and gold, that's a flex. Uh, Collie Green, got me a scally for he left. Uh, Joe Cash, something like dollars on the check. Uh, they had then, I got now. Now guess who next? Uh, ball player. Ain't no watching from the side. Uh, said you got up next. Well, go ahead and show them why. Uh, picking up them pieces. No limits in the sky. Uh, one, two, that's a three. Now take your shot, ball player. Yeah.